Hit the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As each week we take a look at area topics sports-wise, look at some national topics, make our picks against the spread, and much, much more, and maybe even a porn stash story or two to go along the way. So... Can we talk about that for a second at the top of it? I tweeted out a picture. By the way, as always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet. Go. I tweeted out a picture this morning. Um, It's Thursday morning here. I feel like it's gone viral. You from 1986 announcing bowling. Bowling. Where was this at? It was at, I think this was at Super Bowl. We we did it. Erlanger, right by me. Yeah, the guy that was the color analyst was the owner of Super Bowl, Doug Martin. Um, He was rocking the stash too. So. No, we had a, there was a series, there was a long-time series for those that maybe don't know, in, in the greater Cincinnati area called the BPA King of TV Bowling. Loved it. It was, I actually qual- tried to qualify, qualified as an alternate one time. It's where my claim to fame at one point in my life was, you would tape that show in the morning and I was the scorekeeper, the, the alternate bowler, like if somebody didn't show up, you got the, you were like the fifth one in line, you just fell short of qualifying, you kept score. And if the person didn't show, then you took their place. It never happened, but okay. 19 years old, I think at the time. And uh, the guy who did it, the legendary Jack Moran, longtime broadcaster at WCPO, said, I'd like to thank our alternate scorekeeper this week, Dick Shiner. So, <laughs> and there was a quarterback in the NFL at the time whose name was Dick Shiner, and he just kind of, he, he just lost his mind. Yeah, so, clearly. Yeah, so Dick Shiner, he was, he was happy with that. But yes, yeah, so anyway, then in Northern Kentucky, they had a series called the Miller Lite Stars of TV Bowling, and then there was a youth portion to it as well called the Pepsi Stars of TV Bowling, and it was about a 15-week show. We went around to different houses in northern Kentucky and kind of got a little, little taste of broadcasting that way, right out of college, just fresh out of fresh off the boat, my friend. All right, well, Dick Shiner, let's get in. Uh, but by the way, has your wife petitioned for you to bring the stash back at any well, point? The, the, the funny part about the stash is this, is it's in all my wedding photos. I bet. It's, it's, a, it's a bad look. It's a it, great look. It's a brutal look. Well, I, I it depends shan- on what, what I, work you were trying to get. If well, you were trying to go in the adult film industry, you would yeah, have been killing it. Yeah, I, 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 and that's what I was trying, and unfortunately it didn't work out for me. So With here, a name it, like Dick Shiner it, and a mustache dude, like that, I don't know the, how it didn't. I don't know how it didn't. I really, it I'm with seemed you. like you were Dustin. See, see, I was a natural except for other things. You were a five-star <laughs> prospect. I was, and fizzled out. Un- unfortunately, not a five-tool prospect. No, that's exactly it. Boom, all right, let's All right. get started. The 87th edition of the Crosstown Shootout will be played at the Centos Center on Saturday at 5 p.m. on FS1. Xavier comes into the game with a record of 8-1 and one and ranked 27th overall in Ken Palm. The Musketeers rank 50th in offensive efficiency and 21st in defensive efficiency. On the other side, Cincinnati is 6-2 and two on the year. The Bearcats rank 48th overall in Ken Palm, 63rd in offensive efficiency, and 47th in defensive efficiency. We've got a series of questions here. We'll start with number one, Dick Shiner. You got it. Who needs the game more this year, Cincinnati or Xavier? Well, I like the swashbuckling musketeers, don't I? I, I, I he, D'Artagnan wears the mustache, doesn't he? Doesn't oh, he yeah. Like the stash? Yeah. yeah, that's... No, who needs rally. the game more? I, I think UC does, but I also think X... It can survive the loss, but I think it really solidifies its non-league with a win. So the, the question's a hard one because I say UC needs it more because I think UC is not going to help itself as much in its league or be able to help itself as much in its league as it can with this win. So I'll, I'll go with UC, but for Xavier, yeah, you can survive this loss, obviously, but it also you get this win, and I think you just solidify what you've done in the non-league. Yeah, I think you've got it right. It means more for UC, mostly because the fact that they can't make up as many good wins in their conference slate the way Xavier can. So Xavier's non-conference doesn't matter to them nearly as much as UC's non-conference matters to them now. However, 
Um, on the flip side of things, if you look at the coaches specifically, aside from just the teams, if you're talking about just the teams this year, yeah, it's probably UC needs it more than Xavier right now. But if you're looking at the coaches, I think Travis Steele needs this game more than John Brandon does because I think you look at the Xavier team and where they're at compared to where this UC team is at. If Travis loses this rivalry game at home, at home where both right. teams have been right. very hard to beat in this series, um, his second year when UC kind of looks like it's scuffling, we'll talk more about Jaron Cumberland and his availability, but that's a concern going into this one. If he doesn't get that win, that's going to set him back in the eyes of Xavier fans a lot. And that may be un- totally unfair. Yeah, it probably a lot is of times just throw the records yes. out the window with this game. But perception is reality for a lot of people. And fans weren't excited about the way last year, the start of, of Travis Steele's tenure. And you come into this year, things are looking okay right now. They've, you know, they haven't been world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, but they're doing what they said they would do. They're elite defensively, or at least close yeah, to close it. Yeah, close to it. Sure. Um, if he wins this, they're fine. If they don't win it, then I think you start hearing some more questions come out about Travis Steele as a coach. So I think it's a really big game for him. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I would go with that. So yeah, you see, I think though, I think we agree, he needs the game more. Yep. Uh, who's the most important player for each team in this game? I mean, for UC, for me, it's still it's still Jaron Cumberland because he's he's has he's, to be he's the best player in the game, and most importantly, right now we don't know his status right. exactly. He was hurt um, in the he was hurt in the second half of the game against Vermont. Um, hobbled, he didn't play a whole lot, and it sounded like after the game, John Brandon said, "I don't know, it's not good." Um, it's kind of a day-by-day thing at this point. Yeah, and, and honestly, I thought when he was getting some minutes at point guard and his cousin was coming in and playing shooting guard, um, it gave them a pretty good one-two punch out there. I mean, it was getting Javen Cumberland open shots. And I, I mean, right or wrong, I don't know if the kid can play at a high level, but he sure as hell can shoot it at a high level. And, and I thought that was a really good mix and maybe a nice little change of pace that John had. But then if, if Jaron's limited or doesn't play at all, you A, take out the best player in the game for both teams, in my opinion. Um, you take out what's now becoming UC's main point guard threat, and you're taking out a guy who can get you 20, who can do a lot of different things. I mean, you're just taking away a star. So, um, yeah, he Jaron Cumberland, to me, obviously is the most important player for UC, and it's not even a, a debate. Yeah, he means so much to this UC team, and I think just overall, like, the confidence level of them and, and the fact that he really hasn't been himself to this point. Like, if he comes out and scores... 25 30 in this game it gets hot that could change the trajectory yes. of his season uc season everything could get them back on the right page um if he struggles through this game or is hurt or whatever you have to like xavier's chances on the flip side who do you see as the biggest player for xavier in this game i'm going quentin gooden just because if you take care of the basketball and you facilitate you're not gonna have any problem you're gonna win this game handily if suddenly he's throwing it all over the map and he's not facilitating, and he goes for seven turnovers in 27 minutes, then you let UC get in the game, especially if some of those are live ball turnovers, and UC can turn them into quick buckets. So, yeah, to me, it's Quentin Good, and you probably disagree. You probably got a different guy in mind, but I think it's Quentin by far. No, actually, I think you're right on. That's exactly why I had in mind here is Quentin Good. And I think it's because this Xavier team is really hard to beat right now if he plays at a high level yes. and gets the offense running as at a functional level. They're never going to be playing at a high level on offense, but if he gets them functioning well enough, then and they're not turning the ball over and they're in sync and he even makes a few shots or has a few nice finishes, all of a sudden they're they're a lot more difficult to beat. When they're shaky at the point guard position and he kind of allows them to play sloppily on offense as they've been prone to do the last yep. year plus. They're not the same team, and they become a lot more beatable. Plus, you factor in the whole 
Seniors in the crosstown shootout thing. We've talked about it a million times. All, it always it always seems like it, it, it pops up, and, and Jaron's one of those too if he plays. Right, and it also a lot of times seems like it could be a guy that maybe isn't your star. I think about the D. Davis game a yep. few years back. You know, it, He had really struggled up to that point shooting the ball, and you heard McCrennan talk about it a lot. They leave him wide open in that game to start. He catches fire, and all of a sudden it becomes known as the D. Davis, D. Davis game. game. He hits right. five You're threes. Right. So um, you could see something like that for Quentin, a guy who hasn't shot real well throughout his career. He's shooting 33.3% right now, which but he, is actually but a little he also, better. He also needs to understand, don't try to do too much. Just do what you do. Right. Let and the, yeah, if you make some shots, that's him. great. And if, it does, if they don't present themselves, run the show, do your thing, get you 11-5-2, and two, two turnovers, five assists, two turnovers. I'll, you sign me up for that right now if I'm a Xavier fan. Yep, I would agree. All right, let's wrap it up with this. Who wins the game and why? It's hard for me to make a case for UC even with Jaron Cumberland. I, I can't make any case without him. I mean, there's, I mean, without him, honestly, it could be a twenty point game. Um, I, I think Xavier by ten in a comfortable margin, seventy three, sixty three, something along those lines. They're just the better team. And if you honestly go position by position, you can almost go right down the board. And as well as Chris Votes played, I still would take Tyreek Jones in a heartbeat over Chris. Yeah, Vogt. without question. And Chris Votes been been really good. I mean, yeah. he's been very very good. Um, I do think the dynamic is if Jaron plays. And Javen stays hot because there's a guy who's not familiar with the shootout. I'm sure he knows of it. I mean, he lived in Wilmington. It's not like he doesn't probably never heard of it. Sees TV like anybody else. So he knows at least enough. I'm sure he's heard some of it leading up to it now. He's the X factor, though. If Jaron can play the point and Javen can can catch a couple of kickouts and start making some shots and making the defense adjust to him, then UC has a puncher's chance. But but if you just you know, analyze the whole thing straight up. I'll go, I'll go X seventy three sixty three. I got one more name in addition to Javen Cumberland for you, who I think could be a big factor in this game for UC and could potentially swing it if, because I agree with you. I mean, I think it's hard to make a case for UC even with Jaron right, right now with the way things have gone. They're just, they're, it's, it's very similar to last year's game, but the roles are reversed. You know, Xavier is a tough team. They're good defensively. They don't shoot it very well. They don't score it very well, but they're together. They're cohesive. They're tough, and they're not tying their defense to their offensive performance. Meanwhile, UC is a new team. They're trying to fit pieces, or I mean, a new coach trying to fit new pieces together at the same time. They're mentally, they just don't seem like they're real stable right now. So I think it's a very similar game to last year. But that other guy for UC that I could see giving them a path to victory is Keith Williams. Um, He played really well against Vermont, sort of had a little bit of a coming out party, which we haven't seen from him much this year. And if you remember, he was pretty darn good against the Xavier team last year in last year's shootout. Um, And his athleticism and his style of play seems to fit in well with Xavier's personnel. He matches up well against those guys. So I think he could be the difference maker again. But I'm going to agree with you. I think this game, Xavier leads by about 10 in the second half and then it ends up being a little close because you know Xavier has a tendency to turn the ball over some and not make shots down the stretch so I think they probably end up winning by about seven six or seven yeah the one thing is we've seen some teams come in with their back against the wall in this series before and it always seems like it's easy to predict when when you I mean honestly if you're a UC fan logically if you just sat down and put it on a piece of paper pluses and minuses your pluses would be more for Xavier but in this game it it is it's it's occasionally teams with the back against the wall I I go back I had to do for our special on 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 uh on local 12 for the, for the game, I had to do my top five showdowns of all time. And one of them was the 2004 game where Xavier came in at 10 and nine dead in the water. UC was ranked 10th in the country. Good, really good team. Not great, not elite, but really, really good. I mean, 10th in the country at the time Xavier wins on, on, on a Lionel Chalmers bucket and lo and behold, you look up and they're in the elite eight that year. So, I mean, Sometimes, I mean, UC is the one that's got the back against the wall here, and sometimes that's the that's the place you want to be, to be honest with you. I, well, I was just going to say, if you're a UC fan, you probably feel better about this shootout than any shootout in, a, in several years because you really have no pressure. No one expects you to win this game, um, and you're going into Xavier's gym where it's like, 
okay, this probably is going to be a win. Let's start. Hopefully, Jaron is healthy enough to yeah. play, and hopefully you get some momentum so you can build towards something positive. Those are the games when you have no pressure, and it's the Crosstown shootout, a big rivalry where anything can happen. Those are the games where the upsets happen. I mean, when UC was ranked number one in the country, yeah, Xavier yeah. was just okay. Yeah. You had the couple of upsets. So Twice. Any, anything can definitely happen in this one, but logic tells us Xavier's probably the exactly. favorite here. All right, let's keep it with college basketball. Go to another area team. NKU moved to 6-3 and three on Tuesday night with an impressive 76-54 win at Miami. By the way, two-point underdogs in Vegas know, going into that game. Dantes Walton poured in 32 points to go with eight rebounds and four assists in the win. That came on the heels of his 30-point, 10-rebound, four-steal, and four-block performance at Arkansas. The game before that, he only played five minutes against Midway, but prior to that, he had poured in 33 points and grabbed 10 boards against Texas Southern. So basically, three of his last, the last three games he played basically, in, yeah. he's gone over 30 points and two double-doubles Mid- in that the time. The Midway game was a glorified scrimmage for them. Right, against an NAIA school that just became co-ed. Right. He's now averaging 18.3 points, 7.1 rebounds, 2.1 assists, and 1.7 turnovers in 28.3 minutes per game while shooting 51.7% from the field and 39.3% from three-point range. Skinny, is Dantes Walton the best basketball player in greater Cincinnati right now? I He'd probably be third or fourth on my list, but I think he's playing like it. I mean, there's a big difference, right? I mean, if you had if you gave me a draft of, and we're talking greater since that, we're talking pretty much just Xavier, UC, UC really. Miami maybe, and and, uh, and and NKU. I mean, Nike Sabandi would probably be in the conversation at some point down in the list. Yeah, but, but after the NKU yes, uh, Miami matchup, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, if you still gave me a draft pick, I think I'd take I'd still take Jaron Cumberland first, um, just because he's just he, he he's a really good player at a high level. But man, this guy's playing like it, and you're I mean you're doing games. You're doing, you're the you're the analyst for games. I'll ask you, where did the scoring ability for him come from? Well, I never thought he was this kind of a high level scorer. Not even close to it. Me neither. And to me, he's always I've always really liked his game because he was a guy who accepted a role understood his role, and he, he contributed immediately. As soon as he was yeah, on yeah, campus, yeah. he immediately played minutes but and dude, was it's, solid. It's one thing, if you get a couple games in the 20s, you go, oh, light bulb moment, man, this guy's putting in 30 on efficient numbers. I didn't even think he was a guy that could score in the 20s. Like, I thought his good nights were going to be those 12 to 15 point games where he hit a couple threes to go with all the other stuff he does, and the fact that he tries really hard and is a great locker room guy and a great kid, and all... you. You know, John Brandon said nothing but good things about yeah. Dantes Walton, and now Darren Horn is doing the same. So you can tell guys really like him inside that maybe, locker room. Maybe John will, John will hope he gets to be a graduate transfer here at some point, right? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dantes, the thing that I think you have to give a lot of credit to is this coaching staff for recognizing that, hey, you can do more. We believe in you. And the big thing Darren Horn keeps going back to is he says, we challenged him to get in better shape. We went back and looked and saw the way he finished games last year and said, you're disappearing way too often. Um, you know, we you lost the best player in school history, so we're needing a guy to Somebody, step up right, and score. Right. You are that guy for us. You are going to be that guy. They basically just gave him that confidence and said, this is what we're requiring out of you, but it also requires you to be in much better shape physically. And not only have you seen it with the way he's been able to finish these games and complete you know, 30-point performances with 10 boards, but it's also shown off in his athleticism. He's had a dunk against Texas Southern and a block against Arkansas that, is, that were wow, as impressive as yeah. any highlight play I've seen this year in person where he just pogo-sticked, got above the rim, and went straight up. I mean, like rockets were in his shoes. I ran out of words in the second half of the Miami game to say about Dantes Walton well, playing so well. You're not playing anybody in the league better than Arkansas, right? In the Horizon League. Not at all. You're, there's probably, honestly, I'm not, I'm, I mean this sincerely, there's probably a lot of teams better than Miami in the, in the league. Some, but not uh, not they, everybody. Right. Yeah. They'd, they'd be middle so, of the pack. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so you did this in these two games. What do you think the sky is the limit for him when he gets in the league? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you start thinking about some of the teams like Green Bay. Nobody here who doesn't he's defend at go all. for forty, but can he be a consistent, honestly, twenty-five point per game guy in the league? I mean, I honestly think he will average close to twenty with the way he's going. I mean, and granted, his three-point shooting may cool off. He's shooting well over forty percent right now, but. The, the way uh, the things he's doing in isolation, which Darren Horn is giving these guys tons of opportunities to get downhill against their man and and find creases and space to operate. And Dantes has just taken advantage. And he's a of willing that. passer too. So now Great teams passer. decide, hey, listen, he's going to be. He, we can't keep him off the bounce. We got to help. Then it creates stuff for other people and makes the offense even better. And I know some people are probably saying, oh, come on, this is a ridiculous question. Yeah, uh, Jaron, if Jaron Cumberland was taking as many shots per game, he could do that. Or if Najee Marsh was taking as many shots per game, he could do that. Dance is only scoring 30 because NKU needs it from him. That's not the case. He's been extremely efficient. They have Tyler Sharp still on this team. They have Trayvon Faulkner still on this team. Those two guys have been as aggressive or more aggressive in all the games that he's scored 30 in. He's not doing it on a ton of shots. He's being an efficient, unselfish player. All right, so if I was going to give you the, 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 the chance to draft from the four teams I mentioned, UC, Xavier, Miami, NKU, who's your first draft pick? You're building a five. Who's your first draft pick? I think it would be Jaron Cumberland. Okay. Um, but like if it but the thing is if I'm in the setting right now, like that's the difference because Jaron is not on the same page with his head coach no, and no. hasn't seemed like he's wanted to buy but, in but, but, but I, but plus I, he's been nicked I, up. I think I'm going with this. If you're asking this question, I think you're still going on overall talent overall as like talent. a prospect. Right. Yes. Then yeah, I think Jaron Cumberland is probably the guy I go first with. All right, number two. And then I'm probably going with Paul Scruggs second. Really? Over Najee? Yeah. Okay. He's just done more for okay. Xavier. And Najee is he's Najee's so hard to guard because he's 6'7 and an mm-hmm. extreme athlete. But I feel like Najee can take away from your team more than Paul Scruggs can. I feel like Paul Scruggs, what he does is almost always positive. Najee can get into funks where the turnovers, the bad shot selection, he can sometimes be a little bit hard to play All with. All right, I now think. make your third draft pick for me. I'm going to make you draft five. See where we go with this. Well, I mean, it's then. I mean, you're really then, into the conversation Najee, right now with Najee and, and Dantes. Okay, all right. And then who's fifth? Dantes. Well, no, no. Third, or, third would fourth. be Najee. Okay, so Dantes, Dantes would be, be fourth. And then who would be fifth? And then fifth. No Nike Samandi for you. I can't. I can't convince you. Well, you know what? You probably would have had I not just seen him score five points well, against a, NKU and only point. take four shots. Um, Tyreek. It might be Tyreek Jones. Yeah, I think it might be. Um, I'm trying to think of who else would be in that conversation. I don't think there's another UC player that would trump Tyreek. No, Scott right wouldn't now. do it for me. No, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, it would be maybe Keith Williams maybe. for me, but I, I don't think he's better than Tyreek at this point. On the team we're point. talking about, we need a rebounder, so let's take Tyreek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we're just drafting on pure potential, though, I think those would be my five. So, so Dantes Walton probably be fourth in terms of overall talent, but in terms of how guys are playing right now, no one is playing what, at a higher level or more have, efficient. You'd have some real functional length with that team. Oh, my goodness. Really versatile. Yeah, that's a pretty good Yeah, call. you run Scruggs at the point, yeah. Jaron at the two, Marshall at the three, that's Dantes pretty, at the four, yeah, and then a, Jones pretty, at the five. That's a pretty good group. You could really D up, too. Exactly. I like it. I like it. It's a good question, though, because he, I mean, he deserves to be in the conversation because he's played just great. Yeah, and I mean, NKU is is on a roll. You look back at that Texas Southern game that they lost and in double overtime at home, and it's like, right, how? what happened how? there? And if they don't have that loss, all of a sudden you're looking at their record like, Whoa! Yeah, these dudes are really impressive. No, right I, now. I I picked when we picked our games last week. I didn't think they'd have a chance to score in the fifties against Arkansas, and they were toe to toe with a good look to to really make it a really tight game down the stretch. And Arkansas isn't going to be a great team in the SEC, but, no, but defensively, defensively they are they elite. Were, yeah, they were great going into that game. Yeah, and again, Dantes goes for thirty and ten in that game. So just really impressive stuff. 
Skinner, let's switch gears now over to baseball. The Reds made a big splash in free agency to start the week when it was announced they had reached a deal with infielder Mike Moustakis for four years and $64 million. The Reds are hoping Moustakis will solve at least some of their offensive issues in the middle of their lineup. He's averaged 34 homers, 29 doubles, and 89 RBIs across the last three seasons. He's also been durable, playing in at least 140 games in five of the last six years. While he definitely has power, he struggles to get on base with a career OBP of 310. My question for you is, was signing Mike Moustakis a good decision by the Reds? Yeah, I, I don't know about the four years, and you're on the hook for that fourth year. If I could have somehow, if I could have somehow done three years and 51 mil, which would have been 17 mil, it would have been a mil more per year on the average, because the average, I think, 16 mil on the one, I think it's four for 64. I think I'd have rather done that, but I'm not going to squabble too much at it. I mean, if you're looking to improve your club for now and it, in the next couple of years that, look, we feel like a window's opening and this guy can plug that that need, I'm all for that. I mean, in this ballpark, it, the thing is, if his nut power numbers had gone down last year, right? If suddenly you look at age 31-ish, because he, he's kind of teeters where his birthday is. He's 31 now, but it's kind of late in the year when it comes. Right. Um if his numbers had gone backwards significantly, you're, you start to go, okay, is he kind of sliding out of the power prime years and into the decline years? I think he's still in that that range of he still has the power, and you put him in this ballpark. I mean, he's easily a 40-home run potential guy, easily. Um, I don't know where you hit him in the lineup. I think that's the big thing. You're, you're obviously not going to hit him up. I mean, I guess you could hit him clean up. I mean, I was thinking more of a you lead off with a winker. You bat Votto second still because those guys still can get on base at a pretty high level. Suarez hits third because he's probably your best overall hitter, and it breaks up the lefties. Then Mustakas hits hits fourth, and then I don't know uh, who would hit fifth. I I'm, Aquino, I guess, hits fifth because yeah, that's the right hand bat, and then Senzel hits sixth. Galvis and the catcher. So it's a pretty good lineup. I mean, that's a pretty pretty good lineup. Mustakas, I think, changes the dynamic of that. I still think you could add another bat somewhere. I'd love to have that. I wish they could have added a catcher bat. But maybe Tucker Barnhart's second half last year gives you the thought that, hey, guy's a 265 hitter with 14 home run power. Okay, I'll hit out of my eight-hole catcher. I'm going to take that. The rest of the lineup should be able to produce a bunch of runs for me. So I, I like I do like the signing when, you, when, you, when push comes to shove. And I know people are going to look and go, yeah, but he's going to play second, and can he do it defensively? And... Man, the way metrics are anymore, the way analytics are, and the fact that really you only have probably on outs out of the 27 outs, hell, 12 to 13 of them are strikeouts every game. How much does defense really factor in as much anymore? Right. Especially where they position guys, right? Yeah. I, I like, I, I, overall, I like the signing. The only thing I'd quibble with is I'd have given him a mil more a year for three years as opposed to the fourth year at another 16 mil. And that's probably the punchline for this deal, right? I mean, the, the critics of it are saying, oh, it's too much money over too much time. In those last few years, you're, you're going to be paying him way too much when he could beyond the decline for certain and that's understandable but that's also probably the reason the Reds were able to get it right like if you're going if you're the Reds and you historically struggle to bring in big name free agents you're probably gonna have to overspend a little yes. bit to make sure you get a guy so from that perspective if the Reds decided this is the guy that can help us I'm all for spending the money. It's not my money. I don't understand why fans lose. Like, granted, I do understand yeah, I, that yeah, yeah, you got to spend responsibly yeah. because it can handicap you in yeah. the future. But you also, if you're going to make a move and actually contend, you have to spend money at some sure. point. You can't just say, oh, that's too much. That's too much. No, it is odd that, this, that the deal has not been signed yet. I mean, it was reported early in the week. and it, True. I mean, I don't, know they, I, I, I don't know what the hang-up would be at this stage. No, if I, anything. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't know how the dynamics of that stuff usually work out. Um, I, I would think the Produce King would like to have him be at Reds Fest and introduce him at Reds Fest. One would assume so. Maybe that's what they're waiting to announce yes. for. Maybe it's going to be a Maybe. big announcement. They'll fly him in on a private jet and he'll come in eating some bananas. But <laughs> I, I, I do think 
the one thing the Reds lineup certainly lacked last year was guys that scared you. Right. I mean, there were just too many guys that even if they were hitting well, you weren't scared of them hitting the ball out of the ballpark or them, you know, no, you, you, driving you, runs in. You have the potential, and, and again, a lot of this is on a Kino. I mean, it was the, the Kino of September, the Kino of all, whatever. Right. But you do have the potential in the middle of your lineup of Suarez, Mustakis, and Aquino of three forty home run guys. Yeah, and now, I mean, granted, the Aquino is the big what-if yes, there because correct. there's no guarantee, and in fact, I'd probably bet against him I probably being too. a 30 home run yeah, guy. Yeah, I, 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 if you ask, ask me, I think he'd be out of the lineup by the middle of May before I could tell you he'd hit 40 home runs. Exactly, but, and that's my guess, too. But what if he is a, even yeah. a 30 home run guy or right. a 28 home run right. guy and, and has some legitimate power? Now, all of a sudden, at least he is a guy that when you throw a mistake pitch or you throw your fastball and he gets a hold of it, He's going to hit out of the ballpark. Yes. You're worried about that. Yes. Same thing with Moustakis. Same thing certainly with Suarez. So now at least you do have another legitimate threat in the middle of your lineup, which I think definitely matters. It makes it puts more pressure on pitchers, and I think that is a big thing Agreed. mentally when they're trying to work their way through your lineup. Um, I'm not bothered by the defensive stuff at all. You're like, yeah, it's not ideal to have him and Freddie Galvis up the middle. Yeah, it's not ideal to be paying a guy a ton of money for him to move positions. Get it, but get, it's third base to second. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not honestly at the end of a game, you can put whoever your your backup utility guy is in at shortstop, move Galvis to second base, and they play defense the last inning of the game. You'll live with that. Exactly. That that just doesn't really concern me. Um, does the Senzel part of this? The fact that some people thought maybe Senzel would go back to his natural position of second. This certainly precludes that. Does that bother you at all? No, no. I thought thought he looked fine in because center. I thought he looked. Yeah, I was gonna say I think he looked great in center. And I, he could play either corner position yeah, if you find I'm, a center fielder. I'm fine with. Yeah, I have no problem with it. I I, I think it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So so overall, I I mean I would have I would I'm, I'm be fine with, with the deal. Yeah. We'll see how he produces. But like the OBP stuff is what it is. Well, that, that's where yeah. He, he I mean the OBP and the slash line isn't great. I mean I think it's a career what. 441 slugging percentage, which is pretty good. It's just it's not maybe 451, whatever it was. It wasn't like over 500 elite. Yeah. The on-base percentage is a problem, but it's only a problem if you hit him at the top of the lineup. Okay, we're talking about putting him in the middle of the lineup, fourth or fifth. Maybe Aquino hits fourth and he hits fifth, whatever. So right. you're not talking about hitting him second and, and that becomes a factor. You're trying to put him in a run-producing spot. I'm good with that. Is this too short-sighted of a move for a team that was supposedly trying to build towards the future and, and revamp and get young talent in? Is by spending this much money on kind of a long-term deal on a guy who's at the end of his career, is it short-sighted? But the thing is, I don't, is, is it the end of his career, though? That, that's the part. I mean, again, the power numbers didn't slide last year. Um, so I don't think it's the end of his career. I think we're kind of at the middle point, and maybe we're at the top of the roller coaster and it starts to go down. But now he's in a new ballpark where suddenly maybe a few of those balls that didn't go out in Milwaukee – like Scooter Jeanette. Scooter Jeanette went from a from a 31 doubles guy in Milwaukee to a mid to high 20s home run guy here in Cincinnati. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and Moustakis has more natural power. So now I'm, I'm fine with it. I think it was a good, a good move. All right, let's stay with the Reds for another topic here. They lost out on free agent pitcher Zach Wheeler, who ended up signing a five-year deal with the Phillies worth $118 million. But it doesn't appear they're done looking for pitching just yet. On Wednesday, it was reported by multiple MLB insiders that the Reds are one of the teams interested in San Francisco Giants standout Madison Bumgarner. The 30-year-old Bumgarner, a four-time All-Star, was 9-9 with a 3.90 ERA and a 1.127 whip in 34 starts last season. Do you think that Reds are serious contenders for top-of-the-line pitcher still? And if so, do you like the idea of adding Madison Bumgarner? I love the idea of adding Madison Bumgarner. Just so you'd have the two craziest pitchers in the major leagues with <laughs> you, him and Trevor Bauer? Yes, you would. But you also have a guy who has pitched in big games, who's pitched in World Series, who's won World Series. I think that's invaluable. Mike Moustakas, what's he done? He's won a World Series. You bring in two guys with rings, one a pitcher, one a position player. A little fire. I think that's invaluable. I really do. Now, here's the funny part. I know people can look and go, well, but Bumgarner, you know, 9-9, nine and nine, da, da, da. I, He and Zach Wheeler are literally the same age. Both were 29 last year. 
Zach Wheeler missed two full seasons due to arm issues. The last two seasons, he's, he started a requisite number of games. But last season, here was Zach Wheeler, 11-8, 396 ERA, 195 strikeouts in 195 innings. You rattle off Bumgarner, 9-9, 390 ERA, 203 strikeouts in, in 207, two-thirds innings. Basically, similar type numbers. Now, am I going to give Madison Bumgarner 5-118? and 118? I don't know about that, but I'm going to give him something. I'm going to give him a good piece of change, and I'd be better with Madison Bumgarner than I would with Zach Wheeler. I mean, he's more durable. Do you think the Reds are a legitimate contender at this point, or do you think this is more like their name is getting thrown in because they're making calls? I I, I think they are, because I I think they were legitimately contending for Zach Wheeler, and if it gets to the point of 5-118, and I would pay Madison Bumgarner that before I'd pay Zach Wheeler that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know if he gets to that. Bumgarner made twelve mil last year, and he probably he's due a payday. I mean, based on his career path, he's due a nice payday. I I think I'd pay him. I'd pay pay that man his money. If the Reds end up adding, because here's the thing, you're starting to see. I mean, Cole Hamill signed a year in in Philly. Um, uh, Strasburg and Garrett Cole have talked with the Yankees. At some point, t- you're going to run out of teams that are going to pay this, right? And okay. so, if the Reds are the one of the ones willing to pay, giddy up, right? I you you do wonder, you know, if. Again, I'm not sure that they necessarily overpaid for Mustakis, but some people seem to think that's more than he was going to get. You wonder if yeah, my, they have enough to overpay Moustakis another is, pitcher. I, like I said, I'd have gone the extra mil a year for three years and been done with it, but maybe you wouldn't have gotten yeah, I'm there. guessing and, you don't get him Maybe that, not. Yeah. Because I have to imagine they would have liked to have done the same thing yeah, if maybe that not. was an option. No. I, um, what does it do, though, if they, if they do sign oh both my. these big guys? I mean, that really does change the outlook of this season a little if, bit. If you went into the postseason, and obviously I'm taking a giant leap here, right? But you went in the postseason with the Sonny Gray of last year and the Castillo and Madison Bumgarner. Giddy up, man. That's a pretty that's a it's a pretty good top of the rotation. Suddenly Trevor Bauer's number four. Right. Hello? There, there are question marks for sure. There always are with pitching. You never know. I mean, injuries can happen and guys go up and down. Bauer's an interesting case for certain when you look at his career. But You've got some serious arms there with potential, and it does feel like that can be a contagious thing. When guys, you, when you got a lot of guys pitching well, all of a sudden that can rub off on the third and fourth with and fifth guy. Almost every single night, if you had that rotation of Gray, of whoever you want to make number one, Castillo, let's go Castillo one, Bumgarner two, Gray three. I'm making an all-star third in the rotation, an all-star from last year, third in the rotation. Trevor Bauer four, and let's go with Di Sclafani five depending on who the other team's fifth is, you literally have a matchup each night of you might have the best pitcher on the mound right. between the two teams. And, and that you talk talking about the, over the 162, if that's the case, that starts to add itself up. Yeah, it almost becomes a, comp- a competition thing amongst yeah. those pitchers in the rotation. And of, then you've added to the lineup. So suddenly you've added your starting pitching to make it better. You've added the lineup to make it better. And somewhere in the middle they meet. So now you're allowing hopefully a few less runs. You got a lineup now that can score a few more runs, and you look up, and this becomes on paper a ninety to ninety-five win team. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of what ifs, a lot of projecting needs to happen to get this team to that point. But you add another big-time pitching prospect to go along with Mustakas, who I do think at least adds a threat in your lineup. I'm not saying he's going to completely change the way you play offensively, but he at least makes pitchers think about him when he's sitting there in the middle of the lineup, especially in Great American Ballpark. It could be an interesting year heading into the 2020 season. Skinny, the Bengals did it. They pulled off their first win of the season on Sunday, taking down the Jets 22-6. to Andy Dalton returned to go 22 for 37 for 243 yards with one touchdown and no interceptions in the win. The defense also came to life as Carlos Dunlap recorded three of the team's four sacks. Who was the biggest winner from the Bengals' win on Sunday? I'll go Andy Dalton just because of the vindication to a large degree. I know Zach Taylor because of his first win. I guess you could go there, but... 
Andy, to me, um, he's the big winner here because I think it just showed, listen, if, if, if you put a quality left tackle in place and you give me a chance, I can do some, I can do still enough things in this league to win games. And the defense, I, you know, would he have won a shootout Sunday? Maybe not. Um, but he managed the game, made a couple of huge throws. The touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd was just a brilliant throw in a tight window. Every Everything that a veteran quarterback should do, from reading it pre-snap to knowing when to, when to throw it in a timing situation to throwing in a bullet to, to, to Tyler Boyd, who did make a great catch on the play. I mean, all of those things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Andy. Andy was a big winner for sure. So you just brought up the word bullet. Normally, talking about Andy Dalton throwing passes, that would bother me. However, I do want to ask you, I'm watching that game. There's multiple throws, including some of the ones where he didn't connect on. Yeah, the very first one of the where, game to Tyler Boyd down the middle. Where I'm saying, geez, it looks like Andy's really getting the ball out of his hand in a hurry. I mean, th- those balls are coming out of there hard. Is it just because we were getting used to watching Ryan yes. Finley and Andy is actually has that much stronger of an arm than him? Or do you think a little time off, Andy came back with a little extra juice? No, I mean, Andy throws a... Uh, in the intermediate routes, Andy throws a tight ball. He really does. I think the question for Andy's always been the, the deep, deep ball. ball. And, and not only just being able to heave it whatever distance, but putting perfect top on it, pu- putting it you know where it needs to be, all those things. But most of those intermediate or timing routes where he has to throw a, a long out route from the hash mark to outside the numbers on the other side, Andy throws a pretty tight ball. It's on pretty much pretty much a, a, a line. Those I mean, things were humming. I mean, yeah, and I, I think some of it was though. You got used to seeing Ryan Finley and realized there's a there's a it's what that's what that was the knock on Ryan Finley is he didn't have a strong arm, doesn't have a strong arm. That's not changing overnight. I mean, no. you're not putting a robotic arm on the guy. But that was the things they said about Andy Dalton, and he has not an NFL. Really. Ca- well, they said he didn't have the strongest arm, which is true, but. He has an NFL caliber yes, arm. He no just question. doesn't have a strong arm for the NFL. He's yeah, an he's, average strength arm in the yeah, NFL. I, I, like I said, though, on intermediate routes, he throws a pretty tight. He spins it pretty good. Yeah, I, I would agree. But, man, Ryan Finley does not have an NFL no, caliber arm. And that is no. so much more obvious after seeing Andy come back in. No question. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go with it with Andy being the big winner. All right, my second question after that win is, do you think they're building any momentum and they're playing better? Or was, hey, they finally got a, a win against a bad team? I think they're building momentum on defense, and some of it is the teams they've played. But look, the the Jets had come in scoring 34 points three games in a row. They didn't come in banged up. I mean, the quarterback had been playing at an extremely high level. They're starting to get Le'Veon Bell a little more involved. Um, And yet, the defense for a third straight game showed up in a pretty big way and and played pretty... I'll go almost dominant. I mean, the the Jets never took a snap inside the 20-yard line all day. That's pretty impressive. I mean, they didn't take a single snap in the red zone all day long. Um, so I think they're building a little momentum there. They do need some more fixes, obviously. You do need better personnel at the linebackers, all those things. So I don't think you're going to get buffaloed on that side of the ball. On offense, I, I, just to evaluate it properly, I need to see everybody back. I need to see it one time. I want to see what it looks like with A.J. and Boyd and, and Ross and Mixon and Bernard and the tight ends. And now that Cordy's back, at least it's a They need Drew back. Sample. If they can get Drew Sample back, they, then we could see it. Yeah, that's, full. and that's not going to happen. Second this round weekend. picks, that's not going to happen either. The thing is, I, this team still needs a roster overhaul at certain spots. You still need to address offensive line in a major way. You still need to address linebacker in a major way. You probably need to address cornerback in a major way. Um, because I don't think Drake Kirkpatrick comes back and plays at any kind of a level. I mean, that, that injury at this stage of his career, I just don't see it taking place. I know you're on the hook for him, and you hope he comes back. But you need to address, obviously, a lot of spots here. But I don't think you're t- 
totally far away. I think that's the way the NFL is, right? I mean, I think a lot of it is it doesn't take long if you do things the right way to rebuild yourself. So I do think there's a little momentum being gained here. I just hope it's not the false hope of we don't need to fix any of this. We just need to go draft a couple guys and we'll be fine. Yeah, and that is my exact concern is that they win another maybe two games the rest of the way and all of a sudden it becomes, well, we were hurt. And we actually do have the right guys in place. We just were one draft pick away. We'll get this year's number two pick or whatever it ends up being, and we'll be happy with that, and we're good to go. And that's just not going to get it done. This team has so many holes no, in I, it. And I go back to if you've evaluated one of the main quarterbacks highly, and, and again, that has to be the caveat. Everybody wants to take Joe Burrow. Look, if the Bengals don't evaluate Joe Burrow number one, and maybe other teams don't either when push comes to shove, maybe they don't rate him as high as everybody everybody thinks. I mean, we're, he's eye candy right now, man. He is. He hasn't gone through the meat grinder of a combine right. and individual workouts and all of those things where all the flaws are going to be brought up about whatever they are about Joe Burrow. And, and to and to his credit, he keeps showing up every week absolutely. because everyone is trying to nitpick him, no, and absolutely. he does keep showing up. But if you've evaluated Joe Burrow clearly as, hey, this guy is going to be a franchise quarterback. I don't care what Andy does the rest of the way. I don't care what the offense does the rest of the way. You're drafting Joe Burrow because he's the guy moving forward. I would agree. I just I the one thing about this draft, I know we've already talked about it on a few different podcasts, but it seems to me as we continue, everyone continues to agree that Chase Young is undoubtedly the best prospect in this draft, and yet people still some people still seem to think Bengals should take Joe Burrow if he, if he's there, it, and to me, it, yeah, just, it, but but if he's there and you evaluate him as a franchise-level quarterback, again, it has to be the evaluation of that, too. Right now, all we see, and we saw what everybody love. look, Ohio State fans, God love you. You thought Dwayne Haskins was the second coming in the He's just, he's a guy. He, he just is. Because you saw what he did at Ohio State, and you saw the gaudy numbers, and you saw the arm strength. I mean, Dwayne's got a big old arm on him. There's a lot of guys, like Cardell Jones had a big old arm on him. It doesn't mean it translates to the NFL. So, again, you have to look and go evaluate it. Right now, Joe Burrow on raw numbers and I high level from watching him on television um, playing at a high level against high level competition looks pretty damn good I'm not going to lie to you but will NFL teams rate him at that point yeah I just to me it's you take the sure thing the guy that is definitely a game changer that everyone agrees is unanimously I take the quarterback if I rate the quarterback the best prospect if if Everyone unanimously agreed that, oh, it's it's close, or this quarterback is the best prospect. I agree. But when everyone says, it's Chase Young up here, and then there's a big gap between him yeah. and whoever else is yeah. in this draft, I go with Chase Young, but I'm an idiot. So. Well, and maybe, maybe again, I, I know everybody's wringing their hands of the Bengals losing the number one overall pick. Maybe when push comes to shove, if you just kind of just take a deep breath and let things go the way they go. Someone will take Joe Burrow for you. Right. Maybe it works out that, that that's where you go, and Andy's a bridge guy for another year, and then you make your draft pick next year, whoever that may be, Tanner Lawrence or whomever. Maybe somebody else pops up. Joe Burrow was – if you don't if you ask anybody after the 2018 college football season where Joe Burrow would go in the draft, people would go, hmm, fourth round, fifth round. I mean, he was good. He wasn't he – was yeah. come on. He came into this year, I think, as like a second, third rounder by yes. most people that I saw. Yeah, so. Mason Rudolph. I just don't know that I'm buying that he is a surefire NFL guy, but no, we'll have goes, more time right, to talk about the But that goes back draft. to, again, I'm going to let them, whoever all the NFL people do the evaluation, and then we'll see from there. Fair enough. Bengals' former first-round pick John Ross will return to the lineup Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. It'll mark the first time he's seen the field since week five. A.J. Green will not play on Sunday, but Zach Taylor said he's not going on IR and is expected to return this year. Former Bengals safety George Iloka tweeted Wednesday in response to Taylor's quote saying, LOL, why at this point? Doesn't make sense from either side. Do you agree with Zach Taylor and the Bengals that A.J. Green should return to try to win a football game or two? Or is George Iloka correct that it's illogical for both sides at this point? I, th- I think it's 
I think if AJ wants to play, look, it comes back to this. He's not playing because of the contract. Let's let's cut to the chase. Of course, I know the ankles bothering him some, but no, dude, it's not. We are now, and I. How, how many weeks ago did I call that? That I said this is all about the contract. Yeah, and well, I, I even thought he wasn't going to play at all. I'm leaning more towards now that Andy's back and you got a nice game in the sunshine in Miami on grass in a couple of weeks. That seems like a nice target. Play the last couple of games, get on film a little bit, show that you're good to go, and then you go into contract negotiations with 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 you know maybe you go for seven and one ten for the last couple of games and you show up and you're you're the old AJ. Um, I get the fact that. Let's just say he goes out there and gets hurt again. He hurts his stock at this point. Because I think everybody keeps saying he's got to come back to show something. I totally disagree with that. I don't that. think he does. I think what happens is if he goes into free agency and the Bengals or whoever else are wooing, again, the Bengals can just slap the franchise tag on him and be done with it and go, hey, here we go. Giddy up. You're, you're, it's time to play. Um, if, if not, if he goes into free agency and a team is interested in him, they can bring him in for a private workout and determine is the guy healthy or not. And he has, he's going to have to do that. I mean, it's not all of a sudden he can go, hey, look at my past body of work. No, no, no. You're going to have to show that you can you can do something in a, in a workout. Right. So he can do that. He doesn't have to play, I think, to show that. But, I, I, and you're at the point with for Zach, I don't, know how, I don't think Zach can answer this in a fair fashion. They decided not to IR him because they thought he'd be back well within the first eight weeks. Because if they'd IR'd him, he'd have had to miss the first eight weeks. And then he could have come back the first game after the bye, and, and we could have gone on from there. Um, that wasn't the case. Or the second game, everybody. That wasn't the case. So, it, the more it's dragged on, you've kept him up all year. You're hoping he plays, so it doesn't make any. Well, I mean, what's the sense to IR him unless you all of a sudden have a rash of injuries where you need some roster spots? Right, you need a body. Yeah, you need a body. In that case, if that's the case, you probably IR somebody else anyway. Um, so, I, I get why they haven't IR'd him. And I get why Zach said, yeah, I expect him to play this year because I think that is his expectation that at some point the guy does say, I'll play this year. But I'm, I don't think he does. I've never thought he does. Yeah, I don't think Zach Taylor actually believes that that he'll play this year. Um, but you're right. I mean, if you're not going to IR him, then you kind of have to have the, the response to that, which yes. is, okay, then do you think he's coming? It's like, well, yeah, if we're not going to IR him, then yes, we think he'll be back. I mean, it's That's gotten to the point IRing. now on Wednesday when the question gets asked. It gets asked on Monday and Wednesday, and, and my guy Ben Baby from ESPN, we've kind of anointed him the A.J. Green guy because because it's gotten almost to the point of he fires yeah, off five rapid-fire questions that are just great, and Zach knows they're coming, and, and he knows what the response is going to be. But it's gone now from a from a Wednesday of we'll see to now every Wednesday it's been he's not gonna play Sunday. Well, that's a pretty quick determination. I get hey the guy has not got he still the thing is he still hasn't practiced yet. Not one single time has he gone through a full practice. He went through a Monday after the bye week walkthrough and actually participated in it, but not a full practice. So he's no nowhere close to playing. Yeah, this and, is this- and, and again for him. Sight unseen. I'm not going to go out there and show something that I and, and possibly risk getting hurt and cost myself in free agency. I'm going to still go make some money because some team is going to come work me out. I'm going to bust my ass in the workout, show that I'm an old AJ Green, and guess what? They're going to go, hey, five years, whatever, let's go. Three years, whatever, let's go. Yeah, this is the Bengals trying to make sure they keep the onus on AJ Green to make yes. it clear that he's sitting out on his own. And I don't blame them for that. No, I don't either. I think that I understand how they're playing publicly, and I think that's probably the right move at this point. I would think it would be silly, honestly, if they played A.J. Green because, one, you're putting him at risk for no reason at all, and if you're trying to bring him back and re-sign him, I don't think that's a wise move to uh, working with him and his agent. Now I'll ask you this. If A.J. continues to pull this through the end of the season, which I think he will, if you're the Bengals, do you even really want to re-sign him at that stage? Well, we've already talked about this, and I think it might be time to move on from A.J. Green just in general because, okay, let's say you sign him for, what, 
two more, you know, like I, I mean, it would be multi years, right? But I mean, I mean, let's say like the Bengals are probably two years away from being good, right? At least, yeah. at least. Yeah. So at at what point in that contract in AJ Green's career are the Bengals actually good? How many? What opportunity did that cost you in terms of adding new younger guys that could be Absol- pieces going absolutely forward? Absolutely agree. But let's say you draft Joe Burrow, you've determined he's going to be your guy moving forward. Would you not like Joe you Burrow being a- able to throw into J- A.J. Green? Yeah, you need A.J. Green, for sure. So, I mean, that definitely depends on what your sort of move is here in the offseason. I tend to hope the it's is, not a quarterback. I don't want to be clear. I'm not blaming A.J. Green either because if you don't feel like the Bengals are negotiating in good faith and and you're you're they're they're asking you to play on the if come that if you play, we'll get you get you your money. No, you're not. That's the well, league. Yeah. That's the way this league works. There's no guarantees for the most. There are some guaranteed monies with signing bonuses, but for the most part, there's no guarantees. So if you're AJ Green and you're not feeling like you're getting negotiated fairly, and you're feeling like they're going to slap the franchise tag on you, I'm, my ankle still hurts. I'm sorry, my ankle still hurts. The one thing that always amazes me about fans when these questions come up is how we always seem to lose sight of the fact that GMs and front offices in professional sports, certainly in the NBA more so than anywhere. But if they got the leg up on you, they're going to take it. Well, well, I was going to say something even aside from that is they love the unknown more than yes. anything. Yes. When they have seen a guy on tape or seen, like what happens if AJ Green comes back and he looks completely healthy, but because the Bengals suck, right. he just only gets four catches in two games and has 64 yards, right? Get the, old. Can't run anymore. Can't he's get not the same, he's guy. the same guy. He's not a game changer yeah. anymore. What's What happened? Like, why let anyone nitpick you when, like you said, you can get completely healthy, as uh, feel as refreshed 1, as you've felt in years? I mean, there's no excuse for, for, for after this year. I mean, he's fully a year through this. Go into a workout in the offseason for somebody. Show, look, not only am I healthy, I'm better than I was a year ago because I've had all this time off. I'm refreshed. I took time out to work on my body. Got right. I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. I feel great. And you show that in a workout. Guess what? NFL teams are going to with sign you. a good quarterback or a defense in place that just needs some pop on the offensive side are going to be go head over heels trying to get A.J. Green. So I don't understand why fans keep acting like, oh, no, he needs to get back to prove something. That's the most ridiculous take in all of sports. Yeah, no, my, my only disappointment, and I, I take it from the from the teammate perspective of... Yeah, he's letting dude, his teammates down. Dude, come on, man. Come play with us. But, but here's the thing. Like, George Iloka, who's certainly not on the Bengals and not in the locker room right no, now. No, but George is around. George is a smart guy. Right. And that's how NFL players think because they understand the business side of it. And I guarantee you the Bengals in the locker room right now are saying, this season means nothing. Right. Like, yeah, I'm fighting for my job, so I'm going to go out there and play hard today. But A.J. Green doesn't have to do that. Listen, he's I, got a job. And I truly believe if they were close in negotiations and, and, and it was really... He'd be signed. Guaranteed, a he'd either be signed or he'd probably be playing. That if he felt really good, that hey, they're going to sign me. I, I almost got a guarantee of this. But you don't, and there's no. It's feeling more and more like they're going to be so far apart that either they're going to slap the franchise tag on him or they're going to let him walk. Yeah. Do you, uh, last thing, do you have a take on that right now? What do you think ends up happening, or is it just too hard to call? Tag, I think they slap the tag on him because they're allowed to do it. It's collectively bargained. I think they do it. He can be pissed all he wants, but at that point, he's going to have to play. I mean, I guess he could come up with another injury. I don't see that foresee that happening. Um, I do. Now, I also think that you slap the tag on him, and as next year goes along, you then come trade deadline time and things are not going well, I think you absolutely would deal him and have to deal him. And if he's playing well at that point, you can command probably more. If you let him walk, the best you're getting is a third-round compensatory pick in free agency. That's the best you're getting. I'm not letting him walk for that. I'm just not. 
I like AJ Green a lot. And I do too. I, I think he is a good guy who un, who gets it and understands what's yes. going on. But I could easily see this being a situation where they franchise tag him and he sits out. I, and I wouldn't blame him. Like I get that. Yeah, I don't. I think I think he would grit his teeth and play and then walk after it. I, I just I He has all the leverage. He'd probably be he gone in eight weeks anyway. Yeah, like right. I mean they'd probably have to trade him even if, if he wants to sit out. Problem he'd probably is, though, trade problem him. is if he sits out, you're now talking he's, he's this will be the seventeenth straight game he's missed. He missed the last four last year. So let's say he goes through the whole year. He will miss twenty straight games, and if you add in eight more next year, that's twenty eight. Dude, people signed Josh Gordon three years after he was out of the league with drug problems. People are still, still talking about signing young, Antonio Brown. But he's, also young, but he's also younger, Josh Gordon, too. I mean, we're talking AJ's going to be true. 32 at that point. At I mean, that's point, true. But he's, Father Time gets them all. That's true, but he's still Le'Veon, really talented the last look, time we saw AJ Green play football. And I know Le'Veon Bell's playing in a completely different system with completely different personnel with all of those things. He doesn't look like the same guy. Yeah. He's still a good enough back. But he's but also he's a, a running back, back though. I know. Th- that's different to me. But the whole thing was, hey, you're off. You know, not as much tread on the tires. He's going to be fresher and ready to go. He looks like a guy. Yeah, I, I think receivers are different than running yeah. backs in that regard. Receivers play until they're much older, and they don't take the near but the same. You also have hits. a guy that's had a toe issue and an ankle issue, and, and now the injury concerns are hamstring issue starting to pile up. And that's exactly why I wouldn't come back this year if I were him. No, I I, I get it from both sides. I get it from Zach saying I expect him to play because you're still on the fifty-three mass rushers. You're expecting him to play. That, and that's a good answer to say, I expect him to play. That's about the only thing you can do, right? And for AJ, it's, yeah, I'm not feeling right. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, not, not this week. Right. Not this week. Well, we're going to run out of weeks. We're almost running out of weeks as it is. It's, yeah. it, it really is an interesting conundrum. It's, it's, it's quite, quite interesting. And it's not, it's not going away anytime no. soon. This is going to play out for a while yes. here. Yes, yes. All right, Skinny, let's go to our betting picks now. Do you have our records? I do. Last week in football, I was 9-11. and 11, Makes me 96-94-1, so I'm just treading water. You continue to be on a pretty good roll. 12-8, and 104-86-1 for you against the number. All right, we start off with our college football game Saturday at noon. Lots of local championship games. There Lots is. of local teams we got playing three well of them. this year. Yeah, Miami is at Central Michigan. The Chippewas are six-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 54-and-a-half. You know, I've been on the Miami bandwagon for a good chunk this year. You have been. So, but I, Central Michigan is just on a roll. They score 40 points, it feels like, every single week. I do like this Miami defense. I'm not as much dismayed by the second half against Ball State because I think Chuck Martin decided he wanted to see what his guys had for a half. Kind of decided at that point, let's get guys ready for the MAC championship game. We're already going to a bowl. But Central Michigan, I think, is just the better team. I'm going to take Central Michigan 37, Miami 21. I think they roll them pretty good. No, I think Central Michigan is going to be too much, too. I'm going to go 35-24, so that's Central Michigan and the over. And that brings us to our Saturday game at 3.30, where the Bearcats are at Memphis playing the rematch of a game they just played last week. Memphis won that one. This time, Memphis is 9.5-point favorites. The total is 57.5. It's hard to beat a good team twice in a row. But it's also hard to go on the road twice in a row and play the same team, especially a team as good as Memphis. Memphis is really, really good. Um, and I thought UC gave them a pretty good shot I last week, did, and it wasn't enough. I thought enough. they did too, but you kind of got behind the eight ball with the, with the kickoff return for a touchdown. Let's try to eliminate that from the equation. And once you played catch-up, then Ben Bryant did a nice job, but he also turned it over a couple times, fumbled it a couple they got lucky with. What Des do you Ritter, do at quarterback? I think Des Ritter comes back and starts, but I also think if Des struggles and it struggles, and you got to make a very quick decision on this, I think you put Ben Bryant in. Um, but you got to start Ritter this time around and change yes. it up, right? Just no, give no, him a different yeah, look. No, no question, because I think if if you if you're UC and you can win this game, 
I don't think if Boise wins, UC is able to leapfrog them. I do think if Memphis wins this game, Memphis goes to the New Year's Six Bowl. That's, a, in my opinion, a given. If UC wins and Boise wins, UC could make an argument of, listen, we played a far better, better schedule. You want to go head-to-head with teams. We beat the crap out of Marshall at Marshall. They beat Marshall at their place 14-7, to and those games were only a couple weeks apart, so it wasn't like they're far apart in a season. Right. We just played at Memphis last week without our starting quarterback, and now this week we played with our starting quarterback, and we won with our starting quarterback. Our two losses are to a team that's going to the college football playoff and either is going to be the one seed or the two seed, however it shakes out, probably the two seed, we'll talk about it in a second, in Ohio State. And our other loss was at Memphis, which we just avenged, which is up there in the college football playoff rankings. So I think they've got a Both teams obviously have a ton to play for. I think UC pulls off the upset. I really do. I think, I think it's hard to beat a good team twice in a row, and Memphis has been challenged with that. I'm going to go UC 29-27. So UC and barely the under. I think UC is in a tough spot right now with I the quarterback too. situation because... But Ben Bryant gave you a little little life, and yeah. now Dez comes back with a week of extra health. And that's the big key. Is Desmond Ritter back to being 100%? Because I think a different look could change this outcome a little bit. I think last week we saw what Ben Bryant could do. It's not going to be enough to beat this Memphis team. You need a different look, and Desmond Ritter just wasn't himself last time we saw him out there. So unless he's gotten a lot more healthy in the, the last week then I, I don't see him being the difference. I'm going to go cent, or I'm gonna go Memphis 35, UC 21. So that's Memphis Ooh. and the under. Um, I, again, I, I, UC played well, I thought, last week. And just at, in the second half, you're like, they're just not good enough defense, to beat these defense guys. Defense gave up in the 20s because seven of the points came on the kickoff return. I'm going again with the defense giving up in the 20s, but this time the offense does just enough. And they almost did just enough last week. They did. Saturday at 8 p.m., we've got Ohio State playing Wisconsin in Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship. The Buckeyes are favored by 15.5. The total is 56.5. Wisconsin's offense has come to life a little bit here of late, and I guess if you're a Wisconsin fan, that, that should give you some level of hope because they were just dismantled the first time by Ohio State's defense. But they're still not even close to good enough. No. I mean, I think they're a nice program and a nice team, and they'll go to a nice bowl. Yeah, I think this year's Wisconsin team is it's really, really good. good. It's just not super elite, and Ohio State is uber elite. Um, look, I, I I thought Michigan would certainly give Ohio State a run for their money last week, and they did for a half, maybe maybe a little, maybe into the third quarter. Some this this Ohio State team is just too elite for me. I think now with the light at the end of the tunnel, the college football playoff, I think they need style points. Just in case the committee, I mean, I think I think that if LSU beats Georgia, LSU is going to be the one overall. Right, seed. their body of work is just better. Um, you, you there's you can't make a case for Ohio State's body of work over that. But if LSU loses, Ohio State, and, and you know, maybe if LSU wins ugly, maybe Ohio State does enough. But I I don't think that. But still, Ohio State also has to still play for style points. And I think they play for enough style points here. Buckeyes 42-17. Wow, we're right on it. I said Buckeyes forty two, Wisconsin twenty. Uh, so that's OSU and the over. For both of us. Yeah, and I just I think you're right on. I mean, Wisconsin is good. They're just not anywhere close to OSU. And we've seen what OSU does to Big Ten teams, namely Wisconsin, right. when they need those style points in the championship game. I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think this Ohio State team is as good as anyone we've seen in recent memory. So I'll, uh, I'll take the Buckeyes to roll. And that takes us to our NFL games. Starting on Thursday night at 820, we've got the Cowboys – at the Bears, the Cowboys are favored by two and a half. The total is 43 and a half. 
Boy, these are two dysfunctional clubs here, man. Not in a great spot. I, I will say, Chicago, that was a pretty impressive win the way they wanted it at Detroit. Detroit's terrible, and they started the guy named Blau. Um, and yeah, he did a nice job. But uh, They traded. They they didn't even trade. They swapped seventh-round picks, picks potentially to get, to get that guy. And he did, he, to his credit, he did pretty well. The, the Bears' offense kind of sprung to life a little bit in the second half. And this Cowboys team on the road of late, I mean, they just haven't been very good offensively, and and they just feel like a train wreck. And you could argue, well, maybe back against the wall, and they still somehow lead the East. I mean, they still are in first place. So what a ridiculous you're, division! You're playing a winnable game, but I'm going to go Chicago, twenty three twenty one. So I'll give the Bears and slightly the over there. Nah, I'm going with the Cowboys here. I think it's twenty four. I think Jason he, he gonna coach his league, and I'll tell you, yeah, Jason's a good coach. <laughs> Just gonna be my coach. Twenty four sixteen. I like the Cowboys over the Bears. That's Cowboys and the under in the Thursday night game. Bringing us to Sunday at one p.m. We've got the Bengals at Cleveland. The Browns are favored by eight and a half. The total is forty and a half. Can the Bengals do it, Skinny? Can they make it two in a row? Are we on a winning streak? Who day? Baker Mayfield's got that bad hand, but his mama didn't raise no wuss, so he says he's going to play. I think they're a mess. They are. I, I think they fired. The, they, look, they went in that Pittsburgh game still very much in the playoff race, and it was kind of the last, the, the last stand. You win that game, like, you we're still okay. Everything's on the table. Yeah, you you would have strung together some wins in a row, and all of those things. Well, you didn't, and you're not. And oh crap, we're still the Browns. Freddie's a mess, and this team is a mess. And if Baker even even if Baker plays, he's playing with a messed up hand. How good is he going to be? With a bad be? offensive line in front. Yeah. of Yeah. I think the Bengals go up there and pull off the win. They're playing with house money right now, man. Look, you got no pressure on you. Cleveland, listen, if something goes haywire early in that game for Cleveland, that fan base loves them, but I don't think they're going to love them for long in that game. Nope. And Freddie's on the hot seat, and Freddie feels... He, Freddie just feels like Freddie's going to find a way to mess this up somehow, some way. And with Baker being hurt, they had a bunch of guys on the injury report um, on Wednesday. I mean, it was a laundry list of limited participants. That usually means they're going to play, but it was a friggin' laundry list. I'm going to go Bengals, go up there, get it done. Bengals 23-20. Bullock at the gun. I can see everything you just said happening. But I'm not going to get caught up in the Bengals mania. I don't think they win this game. I picked outright. them against the Jets, as you know. I picked them outright. You did, but you'd also picked them for about six out of six nah, games this three. year. I, I think. picked them three. So, I picked them three times. Uh, I, I do not think the Bengals will win this game outright. I do think they can cover though, just barely. I'm going to say Browns 21, Bengals 14. So that's Bengals covering and the under. Okay. And that brings us to the Sunday night game, 820. We've got Seahawks at the Rams. The Seahawks are two-and-a-half-point favorites. The total in that game is 46-and-a-half. Seahawks have been really good on the road. They have been. And Rams need this win. Rams need this win. Their offense has sprung to life a little bit in Arizona. Jared Goff threw for over 400 yards. I think he threw for over 400 in the first three quarters. They had like 530 yards through three quarters against Arizona. I'm not sure that tells me that the Rams got right or that just tells me that Arizona sucked defensively that day. Mm. Maybe a little of both. Probably both, but Probably definitely both. the latter. I, I think Seattle's, Seattle's playing really, really well right now. It was a good win on Monday night um, over a good Vikings team. I'm going to go Seattle 30, Rams 24. So Seattle in the over. I think this is your patented Russell Wilson comeback win. I think the Rams need it. They're going to play well. They're going to give them their best shot. They'll have the lead in the second half. And then comes Russell. But Russell comes and brings them back. Seahawks are playing at a high level right now 24 20 Seahawks win so that Seahawks cover and the under I love the two and a half lines yeah. two and a half points are like my favorite yep. lines to hit yep and that takes us to the Monday night game 8 15 we've got Giants in Philly Eli the return of Eli the return of Eli the Eagles are favored by nine and a half in this one the total is 47 and a half skinny 
Can Eli pull off the upset in Philly? No, but I think he pulls off the cover. Um, I, I think he's kind of has the Andy Dalton redemption tour here a little bit, and he makes some big throws and he keeps him in the game. Philly's just a mess, especially defensively. Yeah, um, so are the Giants. Yeah, they, no, yeah, they are. No, that's what I was going to say. It's going to be, I think, a fairly high scoring game. Um, but I think Eli gets the cover. 30-24 Philly. So I'm going with the same score on Sunday and Monday. You won't believe this. Look at the score I have written down right here. You've got 31-24 <laughs> Philly. So yeah. we both have the Giants covering. And I think you nailed it. That's exactly what I think is going to happen, too. They're not good enough to win this game, but Eli will do enough to keep him in it, and he'll have a nice game, throw for a couple touchdowns. So, yeah, 31-24. So Giants and the over were both on in that one. There you go. And that takes us to our college basketball bets. Do you have our records for college basketball? I do. I, I faded a little bit last week. I was three and five against the number. You were three and five against the number. Ugh. It makes me twenty and twelve on the season, and you are fifteen and seventeen. Yeah, college basketball expert Rick Brewing. Exactly. Yeah. It. He he covers two major schools. One is an analyst, and one is a writer. And you're fifteen and seventeen. That's embarrassing. I'm you a, don't know the game. I'm a joke. Saturday at five p.m. We've got the crosstown shootout. UC at Xavier. The Musketeers are favored by six points. The total is 140. Um, I, I predicted earlier when we did this, I'm going to stick with it. Xavier 73-63. I, I, I'm going to stick with that so it stays barely under by the Ken Palm point and Xavier comfortably. That some reason, I think that line's going to end up being higher, like eight and a half-ish officially. It'll be interesting to see where Vegas has it. Yeah. I have noticed a little more discrepancies this year between the Ken Palm lines that we're using here on the more podcast. Early though in the year, though, I mean, I, I think you got to have some settling down before you can kind of get these lines a little more accurate. Yeah, yeah, I think that is a good point. Um, but either way, I, I will be interested to see where Vegas has this line compared to the six that Ken Palm has it set at currently as we do this podcast on Thursday morning. Um, I'm going to go with Xavier 63 UC 56, extremely low scoring. It's how Xavier plays. I don't think they're going to make a bunch of shots all of a sudden and run UC out of the gym, but I do think they'll be up by 10 or so in the second half. So we both have Xavier and the under. And the under, exactly right. I'm way under. You're just barely under. And then Saturday at 4, we've got Fairleigh Dickinson at Kentucky. Wildcats are favored by 24. The total is 136. UK isn't covering very many big numbers at home. Um, I don't know a thing about Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairly ridiculous. I, I just think it's, it's, I believe it's in New Jersey. Is that correct? Does that sound right? Yeah, sure. You'll go with that. Yeah, I was. I would have guessed Michigan. Yeah, no, it's not Michigan, I don't believe. I'll go UK 74-58. So UK wins easily, obviously. What would you say the total was? One that was one thirty six. So I'm going Kentucky. I'm going actually fairly Dickinson to cover and the under. All right. Well, we are way off in terms of our totals <laughs> here. I'm Kentucky ninety, fairly Dickinson sixty five. So I'm going to say UK does just cover that number and by it goes one, over and it goes well wow. over. Okay. Yeah, and that brings us to our final game of our pick'em segment. We've got Sunday at seven p.m. The mighty Northern Kentucky Norse. Hosting the Eastern Kentucky Colonels. Norse are favored by 16 in this one. 146 is the total. Kentucky beat the living daylights out of it. They're not good. They're outside the top 300 in Ken Palm. And, and here's the reason why the Ohio Valley Conference didn't want NKU in it. The fact that NKU would be favored over a, a longtime OVC member like this. Do you think the line winds up really at 16 with yeah. Austin? Do you? I, it might be more. EKU's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think and, and, and NKU just went out and waxed Miami, who was a lot better than EKU. And... You know, sometimes you, you go down to like an Arkansas, you catch them off guard, right? And it gives you a little fool's gold. But to follow that up with the Miami win the way they want it, 
That yeah. tells me NKU is starting to play some pretty good basketball. Yeah, their matchup zone has been really good, and they're doing a great job of locating the other team's best score and just taking them out of the game. I mean, 66-54 and 54 to an SEC school and a, and a decent MAC program, that's a pretty yeah. good couple games And if you don't row. know, Arkansas has one of the best shooters in the country in Isaiah yeah. Joe, a guy yeah. who'll probably play in the NBA, yeah. a 6'7", lights-out shooter. So I'm going to go NKU, NKU 85-57. So it stays, no, it goes, yeah, it stays under, um, and NKU gets the easy cover. Yeah, I think it stays under as well, just barely, though. I'm going to go NKU 82, EKU 63. So that's NKU covers, and it stays just under, just under that total. total of 146. All right, there we go. All right, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, for Rick Brewing, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. As always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet.